For our final night at camp, for the final message from God's Word, we have Brother Doug Savin, the elder brother from Toronto, and he will be supported tonight in prayer by Brother Eckhart Densinger, also from Toronto. Before we approach the Word of God, let us bow our hearts and heads in prayer. O Lord, Thou hast showered Thy blessings upon us this week. Truly, Thy servants are thankful. We thank Thee, undeserved as we are, for the many blessings, for the many wonderful experiences, and for the moving of Thy Holy Spirit. And Father, once again we pray that Thou would open the windows of heaven this evening in the message and in the inspiration hour is to follow, that the hearts of those that do not know Jesus Christ as their personal saviour may indeed be pricked and broken, and that they may surrender all to thee. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> For this um, evening's meditation, I have... Um, several scriptures um, that I have been pondering but um, as a brief introduction I'd like to turn to the the, uh, epistle of the Apostle James uh, starting in chapter 5 verse 16. Epistle of Apostle James chapter 5 starting at verse 16. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth brought forth her fruit. Elijah came to my mind as I pondered what message should be spoken on the last day of camp. Because Elijah represents many things and was many things to many people. I believe the first thing that he was to the nation of Israel was a father. A father in the time of Israel's darkest hours. When for 58 years after the nation of Israel split into ten tribes in the north and two tribes in the south, There were seven kings. Each one became more wicked than the previous. And Ahab happened to be the most wicked of all. He married a Zidonian princess by the name of Jezebel who led led him even further astray than his father Zimri. Elijah also represented to me what one should do in times of fear when there are occasions 
that would perhaps send chills of fear down your spine. What did he do? What was he characterised by? What do you think he was characterised by? I believe he was a man of prayer. You see, as Brother Bob preached a couple of nights ago about his father, how he would love to just to feel those rugged hands that produced on a sweat, Elijah came to my mind again. Because Elijah, as described by this, the messengers of Ahaziah, was a man that was hairy and he wore camel's hair, a cloak of camel's hair and he, he, he tied it at the waist with a leather belt. And he lived in the haunts of Gilead amongst the, the wilderness creatures. And it was for a reason that John the Baptist modelled or rather imitated his model, Elijah. John the Baptist was known as the one who ate honey and wild locusts for his fare every day. John the Baptist was one that was prophesied that would come in the spirit of Elijah in the book of Malachi chapter 4, the last chapter of the Old Testament as the Old Covenant closed. It says, And before the great and notable day of the Lord, I will send Elijah my prophet. And he shall turn the hearts of the fathers unto the children and the hearts of the children unto their fathers. Elijah was a father that prayed and that wanted to bring back the heart of Israel, the lost son of Jehovah God, back to his heavenly Father. As we travel through the land of Samaria, I'd like you to follow with me in the first book of Kings, in chapter 17, if you wish. We find Elisha, Elijah, should I say, Coming out of nowhere, he had no parents as indicated in the scriptures. There was no lineage or ancestry. But he came out of nowhere and God commanded him to show himself unto Ahab, the king of Israel, the one who had knowingly led his nation into idolatry and was an abomination to the living God. So much so that Israel was divorced by God and became a widow. As he appears to Ahab, unannounced, uninvited, what would have gone through his mind? Was he fearful? Would have we been fearful? What was Esther's response when her uncle Mordecai said, Esther, you better go into the king. If you don't, we're all goners. And she knew that if you came into the king's presence, without being invited and without him putting forth his scepter as a sign of acceptance, you were dead. Ahab appears before, or should I say Elijah appears before Ahab and says, as the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, in other words, whom I serve. That's the next characteristic of Elijah. He was a servant. 
And what do servants do? Servants obey. And there wasn't anything that Elijah wouldn't do until he waited for the command of God. Before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. Elijah was sent by God to bring judgment upon the nation of Israel because of their depravity. And the judgment was that rain will be withheld for three years. There's no contradiction in the New Testament, even as we've read, for three and a half years. It had already been six months of drought and God had already started it. But Elijah came to confirm it to Ahab. And not only that, not only would there not be rain, but as was in those times, in the land of Palestine, there was the early and the latter rain, but in between, God would send dew from heaven to water the ground, to carry it through to the next rainy season. But even that, God said, I'm taking away from you. You will not receive any dew. They had filled their abominations to the heaven that God said, I am taking my blessing away from you. And Israel had become a widow. And then he said to Elijah, after this, this indictment, Elijah knew and God knew that he wasn't going to be a popular man. So God said to Elijah, and again he didn't go until God told him, Get thee hence and turn thee to eastward and hide thyself in the brook of Kerith, that is before Jordan. So here is Elijah. He goes from Jezreel all the way to Kerith, which is probably on the other side of the river Jordan, probably 40, 50 miles. Imagine the stamina of the man. What carried him? What possessed him? And he goes to a brook by the name of Kerith. You notice that God didn't send him to a river. God sent him to a brook. God was preparing Elijah for something to come. God sent him to a brook. Because you see, a brook doesn't have as much water as the river does. Elijah doesn't feel so secure anymore when he sees this little brook. He knows that one day it's going to dry out. But nevertheless, at God's command, he goes to the brook and God teaches Elijah dependency. And so he stays there and he drinks from the brook and then God commands the ravens to feed him. And what did they feed him? They fed him every morning and every evening bread, flesh, and he drank from the brook. You say, what a terrible diet. Well, you know what? It was far better than the prophets that Obadiah hid in the caves. Obadiah hid a hundred prophets in the caves because of the... the, uh, the uh, uh, Famine and the, the, the drought that came upon them, Jezebel got mad. And you read down the, down the line, you see that Jezebel was going to kill and had slain already many, many prophets. So Obadiah, who feared God from the youth, hid a hundred prophets in two caves. And he only gave them bread and water. Elijah had it pretty good. A lesson for us, beloved. When we think we've got it pretty bad, think about the next guy.
We heard last night to count our blessings. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening. And he drank of the brook. The Bible is such a powerful book. And you can see that it's God inspired because God doesn't use the heroes as man would picture them. As if man would write a book on heroic deeds, man would choose the best, the elite, the polished, the educated, the muscle bound, the good looking. God chooses what may have been an old man, Elijah, who by all standards may have looked like a a street person. And he feeds him with ravens, the unclean animal, the unclean bird. And he stays there until the brook dries up. And what does Elijah do? Does he pine? Does he moan? Does he complain? No, he waits for the next command. That's what servants do. They wait for the next command. And what did God then tell him to do? Get thee hence to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. And behold, I have commanded the widow woman there to sustain thee. God does not leave his people go. God does not give up on his people. First the ravens sustained Elijah. Now this old woman, this widow, as we will meet her, the poorest of the poor, who had a son to feed, will sustain Elijah. Not only that, he's got to go back into enemy territory. He's got to go back to the capital city of where Jezebel came from. And they're after him. What's Elijah going to do? What does any faithful servant do? He picks up his coat and he goes on. And he travels another 75 miles to Zarephath. And he meets this woman and he doesn't even know who she is. She doesn't know who he is. And she sees this woman picking up sticks. And he says unto her, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called her and said, By the way, I pray thee, bring me some bread also in your hand. Not demanding, was he? This woman had hardly any food left. As a matter of fact, she said, I'm going to prepare my last meal for me and for my son, but then I'm going to die. But you know what? When we reach the end of our hoarded resources, God's grace becomes even greater to us. And the woman was very smart. She was perhaps like that wise steward in in Luke chapter 16 who knew he was going to lose his job, who knew he was going to be begging on the street. And so he did a smart thing. He gave his creditors, or should I say the the creditors, the debtors, he gave them a deal. Half price. So that when he would be fired from his job, he'd received 
into everlasting habitations, the scripture says. This woman said, what have I got to lose? And so she goes back and she makes some cakes for him and brings some, some water. She's used everything up. Elijah says to her, fear not and go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first and bring it to me. And so forth. And she made, and because of her faith, because of her, her obedience, Elijah says to her, the barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the crucible fail until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And you know what? Elijah must have stayed there for a long time because he was given the upstairs apartment. And while he lived with them, he must have really had some wonderful fellowship and every night she must have received some wonderful counsel and some wonderful encouragement and and he became like a father to the son and a helpmeet to the widow. Isn't God wonderful? Isn't God wonderful? For the space of maybe one or two years, maybe three, we don't know. And he became very attached to the family. He was sojourning there, the scripture says, and then one day, for whatever reason, the son dies. And now we see the, the, the soft interior of, of Elijah. How with passion... How with passion he looked after him. The widow, in her weak faith, cried out. What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? Elijah didn't know what to say. Elijah could understand the woman was in extreme and extenuating circumstances. He didn't defend himself. All he said was, give me thy son. Give him to me. And he took him up into the second floor, into his room, into his bedroom. And he cried out. Here we have Elijah now praying privately to Ahab. He said, I will pray and and the rain will stop for three years. But here we have him in the room praying privately and saying, O Lord my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourned by slaying her son? And in passion he stretched himself three times upon the lad and the lad revived and Elijah took him back to the widow and the scripture says he had delivered him unto his mother. And Elijah said, See, thy son liveth. Does it remind you of somebody? Does it remind you of Jesus when he came to the city of Nain and the widow was mourning as the entourage, the funeral procession was taking her son away? And he stops the funeral procession and he tells the boy to arise and the scripture says, and he delivered her, him to his mother. You see, Elijah was like a Christ figure as well. Elijah was like a Christ figure who wept over Jerusalem, who wept over Israel. And when he had done this, after three years, he waited two or three years 
here in Zarephath in the widow's home and then he waited for his next command. What was his next command? Go show thyself unto Ahab and I will send rain upon the earth. Now, back at the proverbial ranch, what's going on back in Israel, in, in Samaria? We see that Ahab has taken Obadiah and they're scouting the countryside, the desert, the wilderness, the burnt land and they're looking for water. They're looking for brooks, for fountains and for grass. For who? For the people? No. For his donkeys. Can we see the depravity of the king? who has been living for his flesh and he continues to live for his flesh, did he love the people? He loved his animals and the convenience that he would get from his animals. The people meant nothing to him. My dear friend, outside of Jesus Christ, you are serving a king or a master or a prince who doesn't really care for you. He cares for himself. He cares for his own empire. And as far as you're concerned, or he's concerned, you're just cannon fodder. He's that lion, that roaring lion, that will pick you up, chew you up, and spit you out. Ahab had no heart for his country. He wasn't a leader. True leaders love their people. And my dear friend, this is a stern warning to you. Who are you serving? Elijah meets Obadiah in the way and says, I want to show myself to Ahab. Go and tell him I'm here. And, and, and Obadiah says, how can you do this to me? He's been looking all over for you. And if I now go tell him that you're here, you may take off like you did before. And when I come back and you're not there, he's going to kill me. He says, just go and tell him. And so he did. And when the king Ahab came and he saw Elijah, the first thing that he could say was, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? Are you the one that's giving me all these problems? that I can't even give grass to my donkeys? Elijah was a no-nonsense man. He answered, I have not troubled Israel but thou and thy father's house, in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. You see, Balaam, the gods of Baal, were the weather gods. And Jezebel and company believed that they were the ones that controlled the weather. And because they controlled the weather, they would control the crops. And so they, they gave their allegiance to Baal. But God beat them at their own game. God stopped the heaven. God st- shut out the rain. And he says, because you've been serving this false god in whom you put your trust to get your food, to get your water supply, God has, has dealt this judgment to you. You're the one that's at fault. You know, truth needs no fear of investigation. 
If we have the truth, if we believe that we are on the right path, if we believe that we are right, we don't have to be feared. We don't have to fear to be investigated. To see if there's something hidden in our closet. Are we real? Are we for real? Can you say that, my friend? Can you really say that the reason you are taking part in this activity is for the reason you have given? Or are you hiding something? Can you really say that the reason that you're not fully seeking God is because you're confused? You're not sure where to go. Elijah had enough. God had enough. God had to bring this to a head. So Elijah says, and listen to what Elijah says to to, uh, Ahab. Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel. Here is this prophet, one against a hundred thousand people, commanding the king of Israel to bring the people to Carmel. Who's wagging who? The dog, the tail, or the tail, the dog? Elijah didn't have to fear. Because when he's got God on his side, he's got everything. And he commands Ahab to bring everyone to come. Well, you know what? Ahab was probably so naive that he just went ahead and did it. There was no argument. There was no question. Or maybe he thought, ah, finally, if Elijah can stop the rain, he can bring back the rain. Maybe that's why I'll do it. Yes. And so he went and he gathered all of Israel, the scripture says. Can you believe it? There was nobody working that day. Just like on the Day of Atonement, nobody was supposed to work. And he gathered all of Israel and he gathered the 450 prophets of Baal and he brought them up. Get the scene. Early morning. See the picture on the hillside. People coming up in silhouette. Thousands, perhaps 100, 200,000 people coming up this mountain in silence as they come to the top of the mount and as the sun broke through the flashing on the golden suns on the turbans of the prophets of Baal. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered not a word. You know what you call that? You call that guilty silence. You see, if you ask somebody, do you know what you're doing is wrong? And they don't answer you. They don't do it for one or two reasons. One of them is, if they tell you what they're doing is wrong, is wrong. 
then they know they have an obligation to fix it up. See what I mean? Truth needs no investigation. If you're telling the truth and it is evident, you don't have to go any further. The prophet uses the word halt. And the word halt, you may have seen it in the New Testament, how they brought the lame and the halt to Christ. It sort of means lame. But it also means to totter. And totter means to sort of stagger from side to side like a drunk man. And picture yourself on the line that divides the black and the yellow, the light. What Elijah is saying, how long will you keep on going from yellow to black and back again? And you may say, oh, I'm not doing that. You may say, I'm still going to church. But you're taking part in activities that you know are wrong. You're serving the God of this world, but sort of salving your conscience, because every now and then you may pray a prayer, or you may read your Bible, but you're halting between two opinions, so you look like a lame man that's limping and can't keep a steady gait and a straight line. Elijah was very blunt when he said, I, even I only, remain a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450. And he made them a deal. He said, I want you to all go and make a sacrifice, build an altar, put the bullock on the altar, but don't do anything yet. And I'll do the same. And let the God that answers by fire, let him be God. Sound fair? You know what? They didn't mumble. They thought, hey, maybe we've, we can do, settle this once and for all. He said, but you don't put a flame to it until it's time to start. You don't touch anything. Let your God put the flame to it. Not like before, when you may have tricked people, when you may have been like some of these counterfeit revivalists that set things up and staged things to bring around false wonders and lying wonders. You cry, for, you cry to your God. And so they did. And the scripture says here that from the morning until the noon, guess what the prophets of Baal were doing? They were circling their little sacrifice and all they were doing was crying out, Oh Baal, hear us! Oh Baal, hear us! They thought that they would be heard for their vain repetitions like the pagans and the heathens they were. You know what? Elijah mocked them. You think, that's not a very godly thing to do, to mock somebody else's beliefs. 
You know, sometimes I have to apologise when I, when I do talk about ludicrous things that happen in Christianity that, that bring mockery to the name of God. But here we have Elijah mocking them. And in their, in their frenzy, Elijah says, Cry aloud, for he's a God. Either he is talking or he's pursuing or he is in a journey or preventure. He may, he may be sleeping and must be woken up. And you know, as he was crying out, they were so much into this frenzy, probably in an altered state of consciousness, and they were just yelling and screaming that they thought Elijah was spurring in the mind and so they went even louder. How stupid! And that is what I can say today of those that would like to some way seek higher experiences in the gospel. They want to go for experience. They go to to tantalise their senses. When the word of God continually reminds us of being sober-minded, sound-minded, for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of sound mind and love. And they went to the point where they had lost their mind, you would think, because they began to cut themselves with knives and lances and, and blood started to gush out on the altar. And this went on for another three hours. And Elijah then just saw enough. He said, stop, come to me. And Elijah, before he did anything... It says here that he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. That really touches me. That really touches me. You see, Elijah was a father. And like any father, when the house has been somewhat disrupted, when there has been a degeneration in the family, the first thing that their father should do is repair the altar of the home. What is your altar? Is it the television set? Is it the stereo? I have a lot to learn here. I have to confess. the altar had to be raised up again. Because Jezebel had thrown down the altars, had slain the prophets. The voice of prophecy had ceased in Israel. Has the voice of prophecy ceased in our homes? Has prayer been abandoned? Before there can be revival, there has to be repentance. Repentance. And the remedy for that repentance is the blood of Jesus Christ. When Elijah built up the altar again, he said, just to cast dispel any doubt, he says, pour four barrels of water on the sacrifice and do it again a second and a third time. Twelve barrels of water, soak the sacrifice. And then he said, 
And it came to pass at the time of the evening offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again unto the fathers. They were not of the spirit of John and James who when they were in the same country of Samaria, when the Samaritans rejected Christ, said, shall we command fire and brimstone to come down from heaven and to consume them, Lord? Jesus said, you don't know what a spirit you are. For the Son of Man has not come to destroy lives, but to save them. You see, Elijah knew that the people were deceived by these false leaders. And he knew that the people had a chance and an opportunity to repent. And the only way for them to repent is for the blood to be shed. This indeed was a picture of things to come when the blood of Christ would have to be shed on Calvary. And then the scripture says, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed and burnt the sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust. Can you imagine? The fire of God consumed the stones and the dust. Didn't just char it. It ate it up. A proof that this was divine intervention. And when this had happened, the people, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And you know, some people believe that they were actually chanting Elijah's name because Elijah means the Lord is God. And Elijah said unto them, Take the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they took them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. You think, how cruel. How cruel. How cruel. Let me ask you a question, beloved. What would you do? How cruel would you think it would be if the drug barons of this world came and poisoned all of your children with drugs and they died aggravated, anguishing deaths because of the drugs that they fed them, poisoned them. Do you think it would be cruel that the state would have them done away with to save hundreds of thousands of millions of people? There is nothing more wicked and heinous than false teachers corrupting and destroying the flock. And we cannot understand God's justice. But to spare the nation, God had to deal with these false teachers and preachers. And then Elijah says to Ahab, get this, get thee up, eat and drink. For there is a sound of abundance of rain. 
And Ahab went, guess where? To eat and drink. He again listened to Elijah. He listened to him. Only because he wanted to satisfy his stomach, what did Elijah do? He went back up to the mountain and he thanked God. Could not Ahab at least thank Elijah? Could not Ahab at least get on his knees like the people and see the miracle that was done? But depravity, sin, leads you further than you want to go and to a point of no return at times. And only appears Elijah could hear that rain that came, that abundance, that noise that of abundance of rain that came and he went up to the top of Mount Carmel. Thank God he put his head face between his knees and he began to pray. And it said that he told his servant, go look towards the sea. And he went up there and said, there's nothing. He said, go again seven times. And then he says, Hey, there's a, there's a cloud arising out of the sea like a man's hand. And before you know it, the, sea was, the, the uh, sky was black and it began to rain. And then Eli, uh, Elijah says to Ahab, you better get going. And Ahab rode, rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah and he girded up his loins. Can you imagine this old man? He picked up his, uh, his uh, cloak and he was running like the wind. Not only was he running like the wind, he overtook Ahab in his chariot and he ran 18 miles to Jezreel. What possessed the man? What was drawing him? When he got to Jezreel, Ahab told everything to Jezebel. And Jezebel heard this, fuming mad. She said that, so be. She cursed and she promised that this will happen to Elijah by this time tomorrow, what he has done to the prophets. Now we come to a very sad part in Elijah's life. He could face 850 prophets. He could face the wrath of Ahab's armies. He could stand Ahab in the face. But it came to this one mad woman and the scripture says he fled. He ran. He ran like all the way down to Beersheba, south of Jerusalem. And he left his servant there and he kept on running into the wilderness another day. And he finds himself under a juniper tree, hoping to die. What happened? What happened? I can imagine to some extent what happened. Burden after burden, rock after rock. there was a crack found in Elijah's faith. And perhaps he began to think, Lord, how much more? How much more? How much more? 
Lord, take away my life. For I am no better than my father's. When I was a lad, and there were 11 children in the home, three bedroom bungalow, and you had to fit 13 people in three bedrooms and the living room, and what may have been a storage room. And I see my father, how he works 16 hours a day to support his children. And he never had time to spend with his boys. And the boys went everywhere, left and right, and they found company. that would lead them also astray. And we would go to all kinds of places, be found in billiard halls, in football stadiums, in bars. In my later life, I began to be very critical of my dad. And think, how come he didn't spend time with us? It's all mum and dad's fault. Because they didn't spend the time with us. And as my brother Mike would testify, that he would hear... My dad's groans through the thin walls as he came home late every night. When I look back, my first judgment was upon my dad. Why our boys turned out the way they did. But you know, now seeing it from the other side of conversion, I see that dad loved us more than I could have imagined. Because we were like the widow who had no food in the fridge. There were times when I would go to the fridge and there'd be Nothing. Some lard. I'd get a piece of bread that we would and put a bit of salt on it and a bit of red paprika. And that would be our meal. And for dessert we'd get the same bread and dip it in water and sprinkle a little bit of sugar on there. That would be dessert. But we, would, we had it good. 
We were never hungry. At least we had food in our bellies. And now, when I look at myself as a father and I see my failures, I cry out with Elijah. I'm no better than my father. There are many Elijahs in this room. They're sitting here in front of you. Your elders. Your ministering brothers. The brothers that are pillars of the church. And when things go awry, when things don't go so well, I can guarantee you, and I've seen it, we crawl under juniper trees. And we cry out, we're no better than our fathers. My dear brothers and sisters and friends, please help us pick up that rock. Please help us with the burdens. Because we want to turn the children's hearts to the, to the hearts of the fathers. And the hearts of the fathers to the children. And the only way to do that is revival. And the only way for revival is repentance. I want to skip to the second book of Kings. When Elijah was to be taken from this earth, his appointed time had come. After he had appointed a successor through God's command again. It says, and it came to pass, and they still went on and talked, that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more and he took hold of his clothes and he rent them in two pieces. My dear friend outside of Christ, What was depicted here was the rapture in third person singular. Elijah was raptured to the skies. He was taken from his son in the faith, Elisha, to be seen no more. There will be a great parting one day. There will be a great separation one day. When if you are not ready to meet your Creator, you will also cry, 
My father. My father. And don't say he didn't love you. One day a Roman soldier in a shameful gambling game won the bloodstained ermine that once had clothed my king. Just a simple robe of linen, no great value did it all. But Jesus came to die, and we 
Holy Lord God Almighty, what a privilege it is to be able to call thee our Father which art in heaven. Such an holy God, such a mighty God, such an awesome God, a God that can answer with a consuming fire, a God that cannot be comprehended, a God who reveals his love in Christ Jesus, who offers grace abundance at the expense of his beloved Son, Jesus Christ, and who has committed unto us this gospel of reconciliation, O Lord. Yet thy holy scripture is preserved for us to see how a holy God deals with sin, with rebellion, with idolatry, O Lord, that we may fear, that we may realize that thou art God and that it is not necessary for you to prove thyself to us through miracle, but that thou hast chosen to speak through a still small voice. We pray that this still small voice may have been heard and will be heeded by everyone that is here. O Lord God Almighty, thou art to be worshipped. And while we are in this frail body, while we are compassed with this flesh that is beset by temptation, O Lord, we need to fear. We need to walk. We need to walk in reverence and godly fear. We are not there yet, for thy holy word tells us that we will see face to face and know as we are known. 
O Lord God, remind us of this. Remind us, O Lord, of thy goodness, of thy loving kindness, of all that thou dost choose to reveal unto us, for it is for our own good and thou knowest best. We do thank thee, Lord, for thy word of truth that still can be spoken freely here. We thank thee for this camp, dear Father, that thou didst hear many prayers that were uttered. O Lord, we do thank thee for the order, for the planning, for the work that went into it, for the reverence with which the worship were attended. We thank thee for the, for the hymns of praise sung unto thee. We thank thee for the joy, O Lord, for the encouragement that we did experience at this camp. And we do pray, O Lord, that it may bring forth fruit, that the gratitude, O Lord, with which we stand before thee in this evening, O Lord, may have its effect in days, in months to come, O Lord, for we have been refreshed, we have been encouraged. Thy showers of blessing have been poured out, dear Father, not only upon the grass that grows, but, O Lord, we have been refreshed by the working of thy Spirit amongst us. And we do pray for our friends in our midst, dear Father, that have hesitated yet to commit themselves wholeheartedly, that, O Lord, still need a convincing, O Lord, that they may in humility ask of Thee, and Thou wilt give them the sign, O Lord, that they need. Thou wilt increase the faith that they need, dear Father. Thou wilt give them sufficient so that they can O Lord, gladly accept that grace and walk therein. Dear Father, we do pray for thy working in their lives. We do pray for the working in every believer's life. That, dear Father, this camp may not have been in vain. Because with thy blessings, O Lord, with the abundant blessings that we did receive, there goes the responsibility of stewardship. And we need to give account, dear Father. And we do want to Stand one day in thy presence, O Lord, and able, O Lord, to hear those words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Help us there too. Be thou with the shepherds of thy flock. Uphold them, O Lord, for they bear great burdens these days, dear Father, and they need encouragement. They need everyone, O Lord, to walk obediently, because this is the greatest encouragement that we can give them to pray for them, to uphold them, O Lord, that they be able to bear that which has been laid upon us, O Lord, and that which they need not bear, that they are able to commit it unto thee, O Lord, and shepherd the flock, O Lord, wisely. Dear Father, we do thank thee for the pillars of faith among us. We thank thee, O Lord, for we have seen their walk of life many years, and we also want to follow and be true and faithful, that when it is our turn also to take their place, O Lord, that there will be those that stand and do all that can stand. We thank thee for the young among us, dear Father. We thank thee for the encouragement that we did receive, dear Father, by seeing young brothers and sisters taking up and working for the Lord and are encouraged by them. We thank thee for the many young children that are in our midst, dear Father, that they are exposed to thy word of truth, that, dear Father, as we love them, dear Father, as we have known their parents, even their grandparents, O Lord, and we hope and pray that they too will embrace the truth, dear Father. And as there are still blessings to come this day, for it is not yet over, we ask you that blessing upon the remainder of this day, 
and walked out in our midst, dear Father, receive the praises as we joyfully want to worship thee. We thank thee and praise thee in Jesus' name. Amen.